Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. Did you know that the entire books of 1st and 2nd Chronicles do not talk about any of the kings of Israel, but they only talk about the kings of Judah? Well, we've got a special life study program for today. We hope you stay with us. This is Matt Miller filling in for Chris Wilde, and Francis Ball is here with me. Francis, thanks for joining. Yes, I think we have a quite enlightening message with us today to see even what's the difference between Judah and Israel. I heard that you did a program with Chris uh, last week, and you talked about the difference between the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. Maybe you could review just a little bit. What is the difference between the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah? Well, the main difference that comes out in these messages in First and Second Chronicles is that the kings of Judah maintained their standing on the ground that uh, God wanted them to have, the appointed ground to make Jerusalem the center. And that's described in detail in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Yes. That was a big help to our consideration on that previous program, to realize that God had made it clear what the center of gathering should be for the people of God in the Old Testament, and that was to be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was to be the center. That is what the kings of Judah did. They kept that center. And so it made their situation, their standing with Jehovah to be much clearer than those who divided from Judah and from the rest of God's people to be called Israel in the north. But they had divided and set up another worship center. And this is a real abomination to God, to Jehovah, to have a separate worship center because he wanted always to keep the principle of oneness for his people. Well, you can see that by this picture, the majority of God's people at the time followed the kings of Israel, and only a handful of God's people were following the kings of Judah to take the proper way on the proper ground. So the history in Chronicles is only talking about these few, the remnant, the small number, the kings of Judah. And in the entire book of Chronicles, there's 20 kings of Judah mentioned, yet in our life study of First and Second Chronicles, we are only talking about 12 of those kings because the other ones are covered in the books of First and Second Kings. Mm-hmm. Only these 12 have a supplement, an additional word in the book of Chronicles, and we'd like to talk about those and give some stories. Today we're going to have some stories of the kings from Judah in the book of Second Chronicles. Let's go there now, and Francis will come back and talk about it a little more. I hope our listeners could stay with us. I think there'll be an interesting application to today's Christian life. Chronicle selected 12 kings of Judah as examples. This morning, we come to the example of Jehoram. He is a descendant of Solomon. He was warned by Elijah the prophet concerning his evils before God, 
and he says, mid-ball, end. You keep the fundamental phase, but before God, you are evil. Jehovah still have the Philistines and Arabians against him, and they came up against Judah and carried away all the possessions of his house, the king's house, as well as his sons, his wives. Think about it. Except his youngest son. This end is miserable. And this is the end of Jehoram enjoying the good land in his kingship. He should be very glorious, excellent, splendid, but instead of that, a miserable end of his life. Everything was captured, including his wife, his sons. And the Lord's mercy was still there. The youngest one was spared to continue the throne. Now, another example, Joash, he saw the good pattern of the chief priest, Jehoiada, of doing well in Israel and with God and restoring the house of God. This means this high priest protected the royal family. And Jehoiada had shown him kindness the youngest son, Kainais, to raise him up to be the prince to succeed the throne of David. But after the death of the chief priest, Jehoiada, listen to this, Joash, he listened to the captains of Judah, the leaders of the army, and forsook the house of Jehovah, the God of their fathers, and serve the Asram, the top idol, bringing in the wrath of God upon Judah and Jerusalem. What a story, you see, the ups and the downs. Well, Francis, we surely see the ups and the downs, and uh, it seems like with some of these kings there's more downs than ups. Yes. <laughs> but the thing that impressed me was not the matter of the uh, ups and downs that they experienced in their living and their way of officiating, you might say, but they still kept the ground. And there was some indication they were keeping the words of Moses, like the law. But there was this uh, behavior on their part and their living was so low and so uh, affected by, I would say, the fall of man that they were not able to be faithful in their daily living and in their life with each other. So this caused a big problem. Well, we talked uh, before about how this applies in principle to us in the New Testament, that we could be a a Christian standing on the proper ground before God, have the even uh, trying to keep the fundamental faith, Yet, in the details of our living, there's not a faithfulness. And uh, this is really the application, is how it applies to us. Would we be faithful? We may think that God doesn't care about the details. He made the comment in this last portion that Jehoram should have had an excellent living. 
should have had an excellent end because he was born in the good land from a good family, had a good heritage in the faith, and yet he was so unfaithful, so he had a miserable end. It says his bowels came out. His wife and his children were taken away captives. And only because of the Lord's mercy was his youngest son spared to keep the line of David as God's honoring David. But as far as Jehoram was concerned, he had a miserable end because he was unfaithful to God in his details. And this is a warning to us in our Christian life. I think this is the main point as we look at all these kings in Judah, because they were in the right position and they had the right teaching, but their lives, in many cases, most of these cases we'll investigate, all their lives were very unfaithful. And this is a damage to God's testimony and a damage to them. And God had to come in and deal with them in a judgmental way. We've been talking, Francis, in uh, programs about a God-man living and that uh, God wants to be expressed through us believers in Christ. And, And, you know, I think most Christians know that. They know that Christ wants to live in them and be expressed through them. But many, and myself as well, fail in that regard. But God has a way. So let's go on, and then we'll come back and fellowship some more. Syrians came up against Joash and came to Judah and Jerusalem, destroyed all the leaders of the people, although the number of the Syrian army was smaller than that of the very great army of Judah. Even you have a great army, still you were defeated by a smaller group. This was of God. All these are not just punishments. All these are discipline. God disciplines his people to learn how to enjoy the good land. That you could live there a long life in peace and enjoy all the riches in full. But even King Joash, he was born to be king, right? And when his father, mother, sisters, all were captured away, but he was the only one left to be reserved by the great priest Johanna to be the prince. That was the Lord's mercy, right? And at the beginning of his reign, he was gold. He remembered what Jehoiada did to him. But when Jehoiada died, he listened to the armies. The military power came in. He got subdued. He followed them to worship Asherah. Eventually, he conspired to martyr Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada. He forgot all the kindness. Rather, he was in company with the conspiring people to put this son to death. Then what? The next year, the Assyrians came. That finished the story. Well, Francis, we just heard the story from Witness Lee of Joash, the king of Judah, I think I'll read the verses from the scripture so we can reiterate this point. It's Second Chronicles chapter 24. I'll read a few verses and kind of skip around. Verses 1 and 2 say, Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, 
And he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zeba of Beersheba. And Joash did what was right in the sight of Jehovah all the days of Jehoiada the priest. That's a significant phrase. He did what was right all the days of Jehoiada the priest because since he was so young when he became the king, he couldn't reign on his own. So Jehoiada the priest was helping him. And as long as Jehoiada was alive, he was faithful. So now I'm going to skip to verse 15. And it says, And when Jehoiada became old and full of days, he died. And he was 130 years old when he died. And they buried him in the city of David with the kings, because he had done well in Israel and with God in his house. And after the death of Jehoiada, the captains of Judah came and bowed down to the king. Then the king listened to them. This is King Joash. And they forsook the house of Jehovah, the God of their fathers, and they served the Asherahs and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Mm. And he sent prophets to them to bring them back to Jehovah, and they testified to them, but they did not pay attention. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of Jehovah so that you do not prosper? For you have forsaken Jehovah, and he has forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him to death in the court of the house of Jehovah. Amazing. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had shown him, and he slew his son, and when he died he said, May Jehovah see and avenge. This is the son of Jehoiada the priest, Zechariah, before he dies, saying, May God see and avenge. Mm -hmm. And uh, surely God does see these things, and he does avenge. And at the turn of the year, the army of the Syrians came up against him and came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Although the army of the Syrians, this is a key verse, this is the concluding verse I'll read, and then I'll let you comment, Francis. Although the army of the Syrians had come with a small number of men, Jehovah delivered into their hand a very great army, because they had forsaken Jehovah, the God of their fathers. Thus, they executed judgment on Joash. My, what a story. What a story to see how a young man, even a child, was brought into the kingship by birth, and through the events that all happened to his father and all the other children, he ended up as a king. And then eventually, when this priest who had advised him all along and kept him in line, when he died, then he reverted back to an old way of looking at things and actually ended up submitting himself to the army, to the military people. And this brought in a lot of trouble. Eventually, that little army from Assyria came in and defeated and captured that big army of Judah. And this really ended the reign of this young king, but not without him getting some discipline. God came in in his righteousness and really answered the priest's plea that God would uh, avenge for them. Well, Zechariah ended up getting martyred. The army came in and finished him, and that really brought the end of this king's reign. It was a shameful thing that he brought in by not obeying the priest's word and taking the advice he'd gotten from the beginning. 
Francis, I think that the application of this is very uh, clear. If the listeners could pick it up here, I just want to stop and underscore it. Many people are under the shepherding of an older saint who's taking care of them, a believer in Christ who's taking care of them as they're young in the Lord and as they grow up in the Lord, they're helped by that person and while that person's with them, then that person will go away. What will you do as a believer in Christ when your shepherding one goes away? Will you be faithful to what you've been raised up in, or will you listen to the voice of the others who are leading you away to a different direction? He wasn't faithful, and God came in to discipline him and judge him for his unfaithfulness. It was so easy for him to be taken aside when he wouldn't listen to his shepherding care and ended up even worshiping an idol. Well, this is unbelievably tragic. We kind of have a unique life study program today talking about God's discipline, God's judgment, talking about these stories of these kings of Judah. Uh, we're coming to our final segment here. Let's go to one more section of, of story, and then we'll come back and give a concluding word. I hope you'll stay with us because the concluding word is probably the best of all. Now it comes example of Azariah. He defeated the Philistines by the help of God, and the Ammonites gave tribute to him. Thus he became exceedingly strong, and had a mighty army, and became strong by the marvelous help of God. Such a word even used here, marvelous. When he became strong, listen, his heart became uplifted to transpass against Jehovah and go in the temple of Jehovah to burn incense. You may say, to burn incense, there's nothing wrong. But according to God's ordination in the Old Testament, the kings should not touch the duties of the priests. To burn the incense is the duty of the priests, not the duty of the kings, but Azariah. He was proud, not caring for anyone, just himself. He went in to be the priest, and leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest. Right away, right away, leprosy came out. And the priest rushed him out of the temple of God because there is dirty and put him in a separate house as a leper until the day of his death. Another miserable end. All this shows God is just. God is just in dealing with all his people. Do you? believe that God would have this much time to take care of all these kind of disciplinary activities? Yes, God has time. Sometimes some would think, I don't think if I do a small thing, God had that time to deal with me. <laughs> God has more time than you do. <laughs> If you have time to make a mistake, surely he has time to punish you. Don't think that way. 
Well, Francis, you know, some of our life study programs are really encouraging and they're full of inspiration and enlightenment for uh, the enjoyment of Christ. And I feel like today uh, is a different word, although it's still an important word. It's a word that God has time to punish you. I mean, what what can you say about that to encourage our listeners in a concluding word here today? Well, I think we need to take a real lesson from this kind of ruling of God's people that we have in this example. Here is one that rose up in pride thinking that he knows how to do things, and then he ends up uh, making a big mistake and turning away from, from the help he had gotten and not following that anymore. And he made a big mistake, and the Lord has time to judge our mistakes, little or big. Don't think he doesn't have time. I think we sometimes just in a loose way would think, well, this doesn't matter that much, but God wouldn't even pay any attention to that. He pays attention to everything, and nobody gets by with anything under God's care. So we just praise the Lord for his righteousness, his faithfulness, and ask him to have mercy on us and make us faithful in these kind of situations because we want to keep the right ground and we want to keep the fundamental truths, but we must have the proper conduct that fits in with God's eternal purpose. What he's doing today is working in us to make us like he is. He wants us to be a righteous and a holy people and be faithful to him. So we ask the Lord to really supply us with the wisdom and the strength to be faithful in all kind of circumstances and not give in to the small temptations that we don't think are not so important. I liked uh, your word there, Francis, when you said we need to pray to the Lord for his mercy that we could be faithful. Yes. Although the Lord wants faithfulness and he wants righteousness, we don't have the ability in our natural self to do that. That's right. And uh, even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he said he received mercy from the Lord to be faithful. Be faithful right. He couldn't be faithful without the Lord's mercy. We should look to the Lord for his mercy. We shouldn't just accept that we can be unfaithful, and the Lord's okay with that, because this picture in the Old Testament is worth at least a thousand words. These stories are not there just as stories that we should neglect. They're stories there to help us believers in Christ be warned today what kind of life we should have, that we should be faithful to the Lord. Yes, it's not adequate just to be on the proper ground and with the proper truth. There must be the working of that truth in our lives by the infusion of Christ himself as the Spirit being infused into our daily living. And this is the story of these kings of Judah. They were in the proper side. They weren't like the kings of Israel who had committed apostasy. The book of Chronicles doesn't even talk about the kings of Israel because they're an apostate group. These kings of Judah here are the ones who were following God that maintained the lineage of Christ, yet Even in that story of the kings of Judah, we still see there was a failure that God came into discipline, and may it be an example to us as believers in Christ that the Lord would grant us mercy to be faithful. Amen. Well, Francis, I'm looking at the clock, and we've run out of time, so I'm going to have to give an address here in case people want to write to us in a phone number. If you'd like to call us for more information on how to obtain these messages or just want to talk to us and make comments about what you've heard today, it's always an encouragement for us to hear from you. Maybe something the Lord enlightened you with through this program or you've had some kind of an inspiration as you heard us. We'd like to hear from you. The toll-free number is 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Or you can write to us at Living Stream Ministry. 
P.O. Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814, or send email to radio at lsm.org. Francis, thanks for joining me. Hope you'll come back again and uh, do some more programs this week. I think we need a lot of time in these kind of programs to see where we are in today's living for Christ. I agree with that. And uh, thank you also for listening today and hope you'll come back tomorrow and the rest of this week for the life study from the books of First and Second Chronicles. And then we'll uh, move on in our life study to another book. Thanks for listening. Millions of Christians have been strengthened in their faith through the ministry of Watchman Nee. In a recent release by Living Stream Ministry entitled The Overcoming Life, Watchman Nee sounds a call to the believers to pursue the normal Christian life that is hidden with God in Christ. The Overcoming Life is filled with truth, reverberates with hope, and brings the reader to renewed consecration. The Overcoming Life by Watchman Nee from Living Stream Ministry is available at Christian bookstores everywhere. Or you can order by calling 1-888-543-3788.